0: Welcome to the Fire and Soul podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow. I believe in taking massive inspired action from an awakened soul. This show is a weekly dose of spiritual principles, personal development and success strategies for creating an epically aligned life. Here's to your wildest dreams coming true with less hustle, grit and grind, more flow, ease and grace. I'm the founder of the Live Video Mastery Academy, a TV host, speaker, Best selling author and proud fur mama. And I'll be sharing real talks with successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, best selling authors, spiritual luminaries, and high performance experts in this unfiltered, transformational, and soul centered podcast. Things are about to get real. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Fire and Soul Podcast. Before we dive into my epic and hot Sweet, smart, and super genuine guest, Nicholas Ferroni. I want to talk to you about Permission Granted. I've been talking about it for the last few weeks because it's that important. And I know you, ladies, for those of you who tune in and who are loyal listeners or who've gleaned any value from this podcast, do yourself a favor and check out Permission Granted. You can do that in the show notes of this podcast, and that's either under michellesorrow-com or you can go directly to the website, which is also thefireandsoulpodcast.com, fireandsoulpodcast.com. And it's in the show notes under permission granted registration. So here's what's really cool about this program. It's a year-long mastermind with like-minded, like-hearted, beautiful souls, all women just like you. And it's been founded... And led by Patty Aubrey. Now, Patty Aubrey, as many of you may know, is known as the billion-dollar brand builder. That's right. She's been president of Jack Canfield Companies and working with Jack Canfield, who, as you may know, is the co-founder and co-author of the billion-dollar brand Chicken Soup for the Soul series for 30 years. She's also got 14 New York Times bestselling books under her own name. I mean, that's incredible. And she generates amazing ideas on instinct. She's razor sharp, intuitive. And let me just share one other thing with you before we'll dive into Nicholas. She generated an idea for me off the cuff one day as we were masterminding. And she granted me permission to basically emulate her big dreamer mastermind, which is almost a year long. Well, hers is a year long, mine's a 10 month program. And I thought, God, could I really do that? Well, that woman being so smart and intuitive, I felt granted me permission to launch it. I was a little bit nervous because it felt really big and a little bit out of my comfort zone. Well, let me just tell you when Patty Aubrey grants you permission, you speak up. There was something really magical about it. So I ended up launching it not a long time later. And within 24 hours, it completely sold out. And that one coaching idea from Patty generated me $60,000 in less than 24 hours. How cool is that? So now imagine what she can do for you, not to mention just her, all of her epic guest expert speakers. So every month she's going to have a new topic because it's a year-long program and it's really cool learning with like group coaching calls and opportunities to get into the hot seat for one-on-one interactions, not only with her, but with her epic guest speakers, including Van Zant oh my God, me, I'm so completely honored by, Lisa Nichols, are you kidding? Motivational speaker and CEO, Yana Van Zant, Fix My Life from the Oprah Winfrey Network. How about Lindsay Simsick, the co-founder and co-host of the phenomenally popular Almost 30 podcast, Lori Harder, lifestyle entrepreneur and host of the wildly popular Earn Your Happy podcast, Oh my God, you guys, there are so many experts and the list hasn't even fully come out yet as of this moment when I'm recording. So do yourself a favor and grant yourself permission to go check it out on my website. So michelle-sorrow.com in the show notes of this episode. And the link is permission granted registration. This is not an ad. They're not sponsoring this. This is because I believe in it so much. And if you're listening to this show, I know you will love it and glean great value that's insanely affordable. It's less than $100 a month if you want to finance it over a year. So there it is, my friends. All right let's jump into this episode. I am really honored to have Nicholas Ferroni on the show. And especially as this week, he headed back to the classroom and so many kids are heading back to school. And so as parents of young ones, I think that you'll really relate to this man's heart, his mission, and his message. So I'm extremely honored to bring him to you. But let me give you a brief intro of how I found him. It was social media. Number one, he was hot. But number two, he just, he's really captured the attention of America which is why I coined him America's favorite teacher. He might blush and not really dig that, but that's okay, Nicholas, I'm calling you that. He has cultivated so much social change and he stands up for what's right. And this conversation is really powerful. I'm not an expert in this space, but he is. And it was a generous conversation and of his time. He's very busy. He's very dedicated to who he is as a teacher and to really transforming the lives of his students. It's really special. So here's a little bit about Nicholas Ferroni. He's a high school teacher and nationally recognized social activist who educates, mentors, and inspires students to reach their goals while driving a national dialogue about education reform. Recently named Upstander of the Year by Human Rights Campaign for his outspoken advocacy and support for LGBTQ youth, Nick was also voted as one of the 100 making a difference and one of the most influential educators in America. His expertise and strong Opinions about education have made him a sought-after expert on nationally known platforms, including ABC's The View, MSNBC, The Huffington Post, and so much more. As a history teacher to mostly lower-income students in his hometown of Union, New Jersey, Nick developed a Teach the Truth campaign to incorporate more minority figures in social studies curriculum, as well as including the history of the gay and lesbian civil rights movement. In addition, he helped found his school's A Gay, Straight, Alliance, and Feminist Club. He's pretty damn cool, you guys. You're going to love this conversation. I also love his Instagram handle. He says, as a kid, I wanted to be a superhero, philosopher, philanthropist, psychologist, activist, actor, comedian, and lawyer. So I became a teacher. So cool. Oh my God, you guys, you're going to enjoy this conversation, especially for my listeners. And I love you so much. You are parents of children heading back to school. And God bless y'all. If you've got kids who are in high school, you're going to love this conversation. Please share it with anyone that you think could glean value. And please do yourself a favor and follow Nicholas Ferroni in social. All the links will be up in my show notes on michelle Dasharo.com. Love you. Enjoy. I am totally stoked. I'll say that word because it applies to my next guest, Nicholas Ferronis. Maybe students say that. I don't know. More East Coast than West Coast, I'm sure. But welcome to the show, Nick. I'm so happy to have you.
1: God, thank you so much for having me, Michelle.
0: So do your East Coast kids, do they say stoked still? Or is that like an 80s thing from like California?
1: I think they, the only reason they know stoked is in cultural studies. We cover Western, especially like California type slang. Stoked as one of those slang words.
0: That's so awesome. It's totally a slang word. So it was awesome. You know, obviously I chatted about who you are and why you're on the show and what my guests are going to take away by listening, but I am really honored to have your time. You're a busy man. You're in demand. You're so highly decorated at this point with many awards that are so well deserved. In the last few years, as your platform has continued to rise and the awareness that you're hoping to bring, how has your life been impacted and how is it different?
1: It's definitely different for the sheer fact that I've always had amazing teachers and Mm -hmm. they never had the platform I've had. And there are so many more amazing teachers than myself. I'm not the best teacher in my school, but because of obviously the accolades and the platform I have, it, it kind of seems like I get all the attention. At the same time, it's very flattering, but I also feel like it gives me a unique responsibility to kind of celebrate all the other amazing educators who don't nearly have the platform. It mm-hmm. also my eyes to objectification because, totally. again, I was named, like HRC recognized me as one of the teachers of the year, but once People Magazine named me the sexy teacher alive, then that seemed to be the major focus. So I know to be a woman for a few years, and honestly, it's, it's, it's not nice. It's not a positive experience to, where people solely objectify you. Which I'm sure you guys deal with your entire lives.
0: True. And not all women, let's be clear, but definitely some. And and then it changes, like, welcome to your 40s, hi, that's me. And it's like, oh, you know, all the things that used to make me roll my eyes are like, oh my God, it was so it felt so aggressive. That starts to wane. And then you're like, huh. So it's a beautiful reconciling of where do you derive your self-worth, right? And your self-identity. And I love that we were never. Taught by my parents and even amazing teachers in my life to lead by the external. And that's what you teach your students. And I love that you just open with that because you're right. You know, I I saw a lot of videos where you were being interviewed on all kinds of different national platforms and TV shows and news outlets, et cetera. And everyone wanted to start with 2014's people issue, you know, calling you the sexiest teacher alive. And, And I saw you go to battle on that. It's like, hey, don't objectify me.
1: Well, it's, it's an interesting joke. I say it's very tough to have a conversation about education policy when my, my banner underneath my name may read Sexiest Teacher Alive. because so I think that instantly kind of contradicts that whole concept. At right. this time, it shouldn't. But it definitely, it, it definitely enlightened me to a lot of different situations. I'm also well aware that if they named a woman the Sexiest Teacher Alive, she probably would have lost her job.
0: Yes, good point.
1: And it's, so it definitely gave me some interesting conversations for not only for my cultural studies class, but I'm one of the advisors for the Feminist Club. So we, we handle these topics all the time.
0: And so let's talk about the Feminist Club and let's talk about where you teach and what grade you're teaching and what you're teaching, just to give everyone perspective as we open up.
1: Well, I teach in central New Jersey at my alma mater, Union High School.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's 16 years. I teach U.S. History one which is basically everything from colonization up until world war one. And I teach cultural studies, which goes a little deeper into obviously how different cultures have shaped American culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I absolutely love teaching those courses just because they're so imperative and they're so relative. I mean, we are, who we are now because of what happened back then culturally, historically. So they all kind of wrap into, I mean, something I'm very passionate about and I think is probably the most fascinating course.
0: So is. And you've become renowned for employing innovative and unique approaches to teaching your students. And I want to talk about your social experiments on gender equality in politics. And of course, a video with Pancake went viral. But what led you to really want to highlight that via video with your students and getting everyone involved?
1: Well, it's one of those things where even as an educator, I do my best to teach empathy and just social responsibility. And the one thing I realized, I mean, there's Great quote by Anais Nin, where she basically states we don't see the world but as it is, we see the world as we are. Yes. Interesting for me to be like looking at an African American. I tell my students all the time, it's it's easier for me to say as a white man, I don't see what the problem the cops are. They're always nice to me. Yeah, from a selfish perspective. And it's easy for me to say as a man, you know, I don't see what the problem is. Like it's I don't think society is sexist because I haven't lived it or had to walk through it through a woman's shoes. And I do think it is possible to teach. Empathy and I' always think experience is the best way to learn. We rarely care about things until they affect us personally.
0: So is it so true?:
1: I've always tried to find ways to teach not only historical but topical issues in a way that my students not only understand it, but experience it because I think then they'll fully understand it.
0: Mhm and that fully immersive experiential learning is i believe where i've gleaned the most insight where i was able to implement and then even integrate into my daily life which is one of the things that i was so excited to talk to you about because you know i have a lot of listeners all around the world, and many are teachers. And so I want—I was so excited. I'm like, ah, oh, we're going to give teachers like actionable inspiration <laughs> to employ in their classrooms. What have you seen? And maybe it is the social experiments. And then, if so, let's dive into it. Have the greatest impact on your students' lives, where you saw it translate in a way outside of the classroom, amongst their families, their peers, their communities. Well, I mean,
1: the one thing, and it's every teacher out there who obviously cares deeply about their students knows that the content is not nearly as important as the caring and the, yes. I mean, to me, it's the irony is my, my greatest accomplishments as an educator is probably not content based, whether they understand the American revolution. But if I was able to instill some sort of confidence or build some self esteem or support them in a way that they desperately needed and they weren't receiving or to kind of assist the parent in helping their child reach their full potential. And it's, you know, teachers don't teach content. You know, we teach children. So Mm. argue that most people, their successes are, I mean, again, like one of my greatest moments last year was nothing about education based. It was one of my students was evicted and his mother was evicted. And we, we created when I found out, you know, which obviously I saw was affecting him at school. We created a GoFundMe and we were able to get people to donate five bucks to him and his brother and his mother with, with a home for a few months to get them back on their feet. And again, That's nothing in the curriculum, but teachers do this all the time. You know, there's a reason why most teachers refer to their students as my kids and not my students.
0: Mm -hmm. Totally. And I heard you say that somewhere where you talked about how teachers can't replace parents, but they can offer the void when there's a vacancy. I just love that.
1: It's true. It's like we're in this together with parents and I have so many parents. And again, the irony being talk about learning from experience, you know, most Sometimes teachers will complain that a parent is absent. And the one thing I've learned in my lifetime is that there's absentee parents and there's negligent parents. The absentee parents maybe want to be there. They can't because they're single working two jobs and taking night classes and trying to support three kids. So it's one of those things where it's like we're in this together. The parents of one of my students, like I'm here to support them and, and vice versa. And we're in this together. We both want what's best for their child.
0: Yes. So for someone who, let's say, is a teacher out there and they're experiencing the same concerns, same issues, whether or not they're teaching low-income students or more minority-based students, but they also just want to have a voice and they don't know where to start, what do you suggest? Because you started everything on social media, is that correct?
1: Well, I mean, I've, I had a unique platform going into even People Magazine because um, Men's Fitness named me one of the fittest men in the world or one of the fittest celebrities, which, again, was an interesting standpoint because someone noticed me from one of my advocacy speeches about LGBTQ youth. And, and again, it's sometimes it's not the message, it's the messenger. And I just have a platform that tends to be a little bigger. So I think people hear my message more than other people. It doesn't mean my message is any better. But for teachers just starting out, I mean Twitter, Instagram, like I've connected and interacted with teachers and made relationships and learned so much from teachers on all forms of social media, and you see it nationwide where we're supporting teachers nationwide now who are going on strikes I mean, ten years ago, I mean teachers in New Jersey would have not known or probably even worried about what's happening in Oklahoma or even California or Phoenix, but now we all know we're in this we're in this battle together and we're all going through the same struggles and you know power lies in numbers so it's To me, social media, as much as I criticize it in certain cases, it's given me a platform to connect with so many people. I mean, even you just to kind of support that message and provide kind of a safe place and a support unit where we could all share ideas and kind of support each other
0: yeah I was actually thinking about that as I was prepping for this interview, which I've done twice now because we wanted to have this conversation a couple <laughs> months ago and uh, work got in the way for both of us but i was I was like trying to remember how I came across you and i don't I don't know I just know that I started following you and I was so inspired by what you were doing, and you just seemed like this normal guy just completely passionate and committed to caring about your students and making a difference in their lives and all of a sudden you just you had a spotlight on you, it seemed, or at least you were always in my feet. And I was just like, God, this guy's the real deal. And then you reminded me, as I'm sure you do so many of your followers who are my age or older or younger, whatever, but out of high school, of some of the teachers that helped to shape me. And then you just... Put gratitude into my heart that was like at the 10th level, you know, of just wow, if it weren't for that teacher, I don't know if I would have learned that particular distinction about self esteem or empathy or courage or discipline or whatever it might have been. So, I just first want to thank you for what you do because it's really epic and utilizing social media because as I follow you, thinking, God, this dude must spend an unbelievable amount of time with your editing and your replying and the content. Is that also a full-time job?
1: I mean, it, it is, and it, I try to be better at balancing now, but teaching is always a 24 hour day job anyway. My world, I think, is so intertwined, and I think, unlike most jobs where people get to go home and kind of shut off, it's like, you know, I can't, I'm a teacher, most teachers are teachers 24 hours a day. Like, we don't have that luxury. We take our work home, we take our emotions home. You know, our students we still worry about them. I would say teachers are one of the few professions who lose sleep over other people's children. Mm -hmm. We kind of, we do take it with us. And I've just become better at kind of navigating and kind of multitasking and trying to make everything work and just trying to obviously stand top of education practices, but always engage and always interact and always support people who kind of support me as well. It is a full-time job.
0: It is a full-time job. Well, for anyone who's as deeply committed as you are, I mean, what does keep you up at night? What is like the main concern right now that you are, you know, maybe an anxiety about or that you stress about?
1: I mean, honestly, I, I would say I do worry about my students and I lecture them every day about different life issues and, you know, try to remind them that I care and that especially seniors. Seniors are an interesting breed because they're kind of already done with school to a certain extent. And I can't blame them because I'm sure I was when I was a senior. My thing is when I always tell parents too, it's not the kids who dream big that I worry about. It's the kids who don't have dreams at all. Yes. Don't dream big enough. So it's like my concern is that a lot of these kids, either they dream small or they don't kind of have the aspirations or the ambition that they should. And my thing is when it comes to students, there's never a lost cause. Mm -hmm. You know I don't want these kids to kind of hit rock bottom. And I've never had a bad kid. I've had kids who I've worried about on a regular basis. I have kids who battled me on a regular basis. But when it comes to teenagers or even youth, you know, if they have issues, if they have grudges, they have a reason why. So I think for most people, it's kind of like we do lose sleep over other people's kids. And that's why I'm always impressed by teachers who have children. So I'm like, I almost feel like it's unfair because you have your real kids and your school kids.
0: Totally. So you're, what are you, mid thirties at this point?
1: And I turned 40 in July.
0: You did? Oh, I must have been watching
1: that. No, no I, no, I turned 40 in July. This July, I turned 40.
0: Okay, great. Well, happy early birthday. Thank you. Um, and no kids?
1: No kids, not yet. Single?
0: Really want in to.:
1: relationship? Uh, I'm in a relationship. I'm dating an amazing girl and that's going well, which is always also tough too. Relationships are tough when you're in this position because I always joke around that the same reason girls fall in love with me is the same reason we end up breaking up is because I'm very committed to my job.
0: Well, it's more than your job. It's a purpose. Yeah. It's a legacy. Yeah. It's a mission. Define that. Let's unpack that a little bit. What do you want to see happen in your lifetime that will exceed your life?
1: First of all, I want to see teachers elevated and celebrated to a level that they deserve. And that's Yes. It. Second, I want to see obviously my students grow up to be obviously great mentors to the next generation. So I just I mean, I take more enjoyment in seeing my students succeed in life or at least be happy and seeing Teachers obviously elevate their platforms and kind of just change the whole conversation and narrative about, about how we treat, how we pay, how we value teachers.
0: And how do you remain hopeful? How do you remain steady and clear on that vision?
1: I'm a teacher. I have to be optimistic. I always have to see the good in everybody, which mm-hmm. again, I can't shut that quality off. So sometimes it caused me problems in my personal life. But you always you you find that good, you hold on to it. it I can't imagine. I mean, if there's a teacher who's not optimistic, I mean, I would encourage them to leave teaching because you have to be that with your students. The kid who gives you the biggest problem in the world, you can't see that. You have to see their potential and you have to kind of constantly remind them of that. So to me, it's optimism is the only way to live.
0: Oh, beautiful. And what have been some of the biggest transformations that you've seen, not to single out, but maybe you'll give a name or not, where maybe they seem the most incorrigible, the most impossible, the most left in the dust, but you came along and with a few core, you know, principles that you lead by, they're now XYZ.
1: Again, one of my first students says his name, Cannon Burton, because I know he will not be embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> he's a captain in the Coast Guard now. I mean, he was, he, was wow. a, he was a sophomore, he was a football player, he was dealing with a lot of personal issues, but he was just such a great kid and such a big heart and just. I mean, just was dealing with aggression and shoes that I grew up in a great household. I had two parents who supported me and then I had teachers who supported me. So I know the value of having that in your corner. And so he was just a kid. We I developed a relationship with started coaching him in football, then started mentoring him, take him to the gym with me, train together, helped him with his applications. He got into Rutgers, which was a dream school. Wow. I mean, just seen his whole progression. I'm like, he, I call him my brother, my little brother, even though he's probably 6'4", 240. <laughs> just, I mean, but again, he's like such, and he'll thank me over and over again. But I mean, a kid like him, he's, he's a survivor and he's a fighter.
0: Mm. What was it about him over, let's say, another student that you're like, listen, you're coming with me. I'm mentoring you. You're going to do this, this, and that, or I want to inspire you to do this, this, and that.
1: Good question. I, I don't know why. I just felt like he needed somebody in his corner. There's Mm -hmm. other students that go through rough patches. I thought he was going through a rough road. And I felt kind of, it's like anything else. There are certain people who, you know, need you. Not that he needed me. He just needed someone in his corner consistently.
0: Yeah. Well, don't we all, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's
1: it's like, I'll tell him today. It's like, he helped me more than I helped him. You know, and that's the thing about teachers. We could have every good teacher questions quitting teaching at least once a week. Yeah is when you put your emotion and your heart and everything, it's something that physically and emotionally drains you. But it's like those moments. And again, like I give, always give this lecture, like I'll be speaking to teachers over the summer. And it's basically how a post-it notes saved, basically saved my teaching career because of this one student, a female student who I had in ninth period, which is the last period of day. And I knew every day she was going to come late. And I knew every day she was going to argue with me every single day. I had to break up fights with her in my classroom with boys. It's just, She just had a chip on her shoulder and every day it's just like kept after class and I'd sit her down. It's like, what's the problem? What can I do? Like, why do you do this? Why are you hurting yourself? Like, why can't let me help you? And she would always say, nobody cares. You don't care. Just get out of my face, this, that. And like every single day, it was kind of a repetitive routine. And every day I'd keep her after class and just sit down and talk, not yell at her, just talk to her. Like, what's going on? Like, what's happening in your life? What can we do? and then over the year i would say her she got more open and kind of obviously receptive and just more kind and compassionate only to find out at the end of the year that she was dealing with serious issues of abuse at home and again probably felt that nobody wanted her so every single day we'd fight she'd always tell me she'd always say why do you keep talking to me why do you care She's like, why are you going to care? I don't care. Why do you care? And I said, you know what? I said, just know that the one day I stop talking to you, that's when you know I don't care. But until then, we'll keep talking every day after class. Mm. Put it this way. There were days where she wasn't there, where my whole class was completely, I would say the whole environment was completely different. And the irony is that teachers, you know, the same kids who give us the problems that we don't mind if they're absent. When they're absent, we worry about them because they're absent. We don't know where they are. Right. The last day of school, none of my students were there on the last day, except I come to class, I see her sitting there smiling. And I just, you know, we start talking and she going gonna do over the summer and she tells me, you know, she's getting these programs and we kind of just had a very nice personal conversation. Before she left class, she was like, I left something in your desk. And I'm like, what do you mean you left something in my desk? She's like, I left something in your desk. I'll see you in September. So she leaves class. I'm obviously choking up a little bit talking about it.
0: Me too. <laughs> Listening.
1: So I sit down my desk, open up, and there was a post-it, which I have framed right here.
0: <laughs>
1: it says, Mr. Ferroni, you're the best. Don't ever forget that. I'm so thankful for you. You're so loving and caring. I'm so happy you're in my life. Thank you so much for believing in me. It's just like a simple little post-it. And it's like that one post-it made every battle for 180 days worthwhile. Mm. So it's like, but every teacher has those moments. And it's, you know, kids ask for love in very weird ways. I mean, I think educators and anybody appreciate this is, you know, I say kids come to school for two reasons. The kids who are loved at home come to school to learn and the kids who aren't come to school to be loved.
0: Yes, wow. Yeah. That's a beautiful perspective. You know, and what I love about this conversation is, you know, while not everybody listening is a school teacher, all of us had a school teacher at some point, most likely. And even if this isn't resonating in terms of the school classroom, yeah. perspective, it's like we can look at the people in our lives that are like that are always triggering us, that are like rubbing up against our edges, that are like causing us to go outside of our comfort zone of empathy and love and compassion. Yeah. And there's always an extraordinary opportunity to just to show up and love, which is what you do. And what I loved about that story that you just shared about this girl who ultimately changed your life as you changed hers is that it was consistency. And that is so key because people just, they want that quick fix. And what I heard you say is you just, you kept caring, you kept asking, you kept showing up. And she was there on the last day. It was a beautiful story of a great example of what's possible in any relationship in and out of the classroom.
1: And it's true. And it's like, but at the same time, it's, even though I'm a teacher, I mean, it could apply to anyone. I, I always tell my students, you know, life is not an individual sport. Everyone who's successful can link it to someone supporting them or encouraging them. I mean, it breaks my heart when I hear somebody say that I never had a teacher who cared about me because I always think that most of us are lucky enough to have multiple teachers who kind of believe in us. Mm -hmm. My heart goes out to the people and it, it breaks my heart that some people went through school and were kind of just non-existent or just people didn't have the chance or the ability or take the time to kind of give them that support or encouragement or kind of open them up or just find out what they're good at and encouraging them to pursue it. It's like you'd be amazed what someone could accomplish when they know that somebody believes in them.
0: Totally. Do you find though, I mean, anywhere, not only New Jersey, but anywhere in the country that some teachers mindset is more about like, listen, just, and maybe this is not true because it is teachers, but I don't know your perspective. You're in this world (laughs) where it's like, ah, you know, I'm just, I'm going home at three and I've got a life to live outside of the classroom. I can't give everything. I can't give my soul to this.
1: I mean, and honestly, I do think there are some people who are like that. Irony is teaching is the one profession where I would argue that ninety nine point nine percent of people in it are in it for the right reasons.
0: Good Lord, Our, it's not about the pay.
1: No, and it's like I've heard and I've there are many people I've come across who I just feel like I'm like, you should not be in education. I would argue that there are more good teach within a harpy, which is why, and again, which is why I have unique platform. Never I mean, anytime you hear about a teacher on the news, it's always for something bad, which is not often. Very rare. So if you don't hear about teachers for a week, that means every teacher in America did an amazing job. Mm. That one story, the one story, which is so minuscule in the overall spectrum of things, people then use it to generalize and associate with everybody. So then every teacher is a bad teacher. One, it's, you know, good news doesn't make the news. It's the bad news that does.
0: It's so true. It gets sensationalized. And what's news these days anyway? I love how you talk about a lot of inspiration over information and the way that I watch you do that through social media. And I love following you on Insta. I'm just not a Twitter girl, but I know you have a much bigger following over there. And we'll make sure all of your links are activated in the show notes on this episode. The way that you bring your students together, going back to that social experiment philosophy and the way that you engage them. I want you to first to describe what that's like, just one example, and then how that impacts them in the classroom and amongst each other as a community.
1: Obviously, you mentioned the gender equality experiment, which was very powerful, but I do one or two where, you know, how do I get the kids to care about the Declaration of Independence? You have to make it personal. I have my students believe that they're going to make a list of grievances against the school that they want to change. So we make a list of things they want to change about the school. I then tell them to bring the list to our principal. And then I then come back To them and let them know that our principal basically said that if your name's on this list, it's insubordination. You're going to get a Saturday detention. Mm. You're going to take your name off. And they say, well, what do we do? I'm like, well, just know that there is some sacrifice. There's no change without sacrifice. Then I also put my name on the list and let them know that, you know, the principal threatened to send me to another school. So let's keep going through and see what happens. Whoa! I then bring back the list again, saying, you know, the principal, obviously the principal's in on the experiment. Right, right that, you know, the principal said, if your name's on this list, you're not going to be walking at graduation or you're not going to be going to prom. I said, he also told me that I'm going to lose my tenure. I give them an opportunity to take their name off the list or to leave it on. And the whole premise of this is I want to see what kids are willing to sacrifice for the greater good for something they believe in. Mm. So I have my principal actually come in the classroom and kind of rip into them a little bit, playing a little King George. And they threaten them to see. And I I watched them push back and and say that these are great ideas. Like, we're going to fight for this. And then some kids, which you can't blame them because they're concerned about their parents saying, you know, Ms. Franny, I've never been in trouble before. I don't know if I could do this. But in the end, it kind of reveals on how by signing the Declaration of Independence, you know, they were committing treason, they were giving their lives
0: Mm.
1: and to make a little sacrifice. And, you know, we can't criticize society and not be willing to sacrifice for change. So that's a lesson that kind of sticks with them because I could see their demeanor change throughout the entire year because now they're so much more passionate and active when it comes to things they believe in.
0: Yes. And you make them think and feel, right, and get outside of their own little microscopic mindset, right? And they think about the greater good and how would this impact so many more than just themselves.
1: We reap the benefits of previous generations. Every generation is entitled in some way, Mm. you know? Don't continue to push things forward and progress, then it's we didn't
0: really earn it. Totally. Now, what are you the most lit up about right now in terms of things you're working on and that you're excited to share with your platforms, your students, the world?
1: Outside of of obviously a few more social experiments and working with Soul Pancake on to teach about obviously education practices and gender inequality in general. But I would say a teacher appreciation 365 campaign. Mm. Whole premises. Teacher appreciation is the first week in May, which this year is May 6th through 10th, which will already pass uh, when this airs. But the whole campaign is, I mean, again, this should apply to Veterans Day, Memorial Day. It should apply to Mother's Day, Father's Day, every day. People who matter all year round. I'm focusing on teachers, obviously, in general. The, The whole premise of the campaign is to kind of celebrate, promote, and advocate for teachers all year round through different avenues to kind of continue the conversation about increasing teacher pay to increase how much teachers can write off on their taxes. The average teacher spends close to $1,000 a year, yet we can only write off $250 on our taxes.
0: I saw that you posted that yesterday on Twitter and I was so blown away.
1: And it's just something very simple. You're telling me Congress or any business owner would do work if they had to buy their own supplies, but teachers are expected to. Mm. And it's like little things like that. And obviously teacher pay is so so varied from state to state. Mm Arizona, they're gonna be protesting tomorrow because their average their starting teacher salaries thirty-seven thousand dollars or thirty-eight thousand dollars.
0: Wow.
1: Borderline poverty. And it's just one of those things. Class size was something that is obviously a big topic too, where Betsy DeVos, our secretary of education, who never taught a day in her life and actually spent her life undermining public education, is saying that class size doesn't matter. We need to increase class size. When in fact every study shows that class size, the smaller class size, the more effective. The education, the better relationships, the better academics. You know, right. say if you don't think class size matter, then you must not think number of children matters. You're telling me you could give the same parenting to three children that you can to thirteen.
0: Right. right, a one a one teacher to you know, I saw your video. You showed the difference of okay, here's 15 kids, here's 20 kids, and then the video yeah. would cut to 25 kids in the room, and then 30 kids up to 45 kids. It was standing room only, children didn't have a yeah. desk, they didn't have a seat, and it was like that is not manageable.
1: No, and I wasn't even teaching, and they were high school kids. I'm, I mean, I've met kindergarten teachers who have 30 kids in their classroom with no help, right? And 30 kindergartners in a classroom. I mean, that's that's impossible. And it's more, it's definitely more crowd control in his education because you can't, you can't provide that one-on-one attention. You know, you can't see a kid who's struggling or a kid who's depressed and then worry about them. You know, it's just, it's the simplest solution is keep class size management where teachers could develop those personal relationships and help those mindsets and, and notice, I mean, I consciously make an effort to say hello to every one of my students every day. And there are some days I don't. I'm thinking there's a student who goes an entire day without anybody even acknowledging them because their teacher can't.
0: Because their teacher's so busy or so inundated with all the bodies, all the work, all yeah. of it. Yeah, and that's really tough. Now for my listeners, how could they contribute in your support in reducing class size or minimizing class size?
1: I mean, the first thing they could do is support teachers when they go on strike in their areas. At Red for Ed, Ed is the hashtag vote for people who obviously are supportive of public education and who are not trying to undermine public education with something called freedom to choose i mean to me it's probably the most impractical ways where they're creating these private they're trying to privatize education the same way they did prisons to siphon money from public schools and it's they're giving the impression that parents have a choice when it comes to education at the same time what they're not telling you is they're they're not giving them a fair choice the privatization of public education to me is just another way to segregate schools. Another way to undermine public education. And the other thing would be to just—I mean—constantly be aware of who they elect locally. You know, we always think, you know, this Betsy DeVos is she's a problem, but you know, the local board of ed is equally as is more powerful to that school district. Especially if if your listeners have children growing up in a school district, get involved, be aware, know who, know what your elected officials believe. On a larger scale, I mean. I would say something simple, like thanking a former teacher. Your listeners would have no idea how much that would mean to a teacher who they probably should have thanked, who went above and beyond. But 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, I mean, that would kind of make their whole teaching career worthwhile.
0: Oh, what a beautiful thing. I love that. I'll definitely highlight that. Who's some of the teachers that... You go back and think, or that you're constantly reminded of if it weren't for that teacher in that moment, I don't know if I would be here. And I know your mom is one of them, but outside of your mom.
1: Yeah. Well, Mrs. Martino, my preschool teacher, who I mean, my mom, your mom has to love you. Like I need affirmation from somebody <laughs> else. You know, if your mom doesn't love you, then we have issues. But Mrs. Martino is my preschool teacher who, you know, my Italian grandmother used to hit me for being left-handed, would read me books about all the amazing left-handed people in the world and mm. honestly supported everything to she convinced everybody in her class that we were going to be president one day. And she, she would always tell me, you know, overestimate your students' potential, mm-hmm. you know, they don't live up to it. Best case they do. She was my second mother figure, my history teachers growing up, uh, Mr. Caliguire and Mr. Wazizak, who were two old Vietnam veterans who were just, you know, taught me about life and taught me about perspective and basically taught me to think for myself, to criticize everything, to challenge authority, to, to kind of be active and, be a protester in society and fight for what you believe in. You know, Mr. Monaco is one of my favorite coaches who just kind of always supported and believed in me. You know, I, I was very lucky to have people at every level who kind of provided some emotional uh, aspect to my life, to my self-esteem and to my image.
0: Yeah, beautiful. What would you say is at the core foundation of what you really teach? I could guess, but I want you to say it. Like, what are you really teaching all of your students year after year, 16 years later?
1: As far as subject, I mean, I teach history, culture, studies. Right.
0: That's what it looks like on the roster. I mean, on the
1: roster. I mean, like most teachers, we would say we teach them compassion, empathy. Uh, We teach them to to, to obviously dream big. We teach them to have aspirations. Mm -hmm. You know, most teachers, we we teach them to to care about things other than themselves. Yes. We teach them to, I mean, self-worth, self-esteem, image, encouragement. You know, it's just, I love history, but at the end of the day, some kids... I could care less if they learn history, if they don't love themselves or believe in themselves. It's kind of, it's all moot point at that, at that case.
0: And that's why you're on because that mindset right there makes you a true champion in the eyes of so many, obviously that follow you, that have been in your classroom, that know you personally, but also people like me who just get to watch from afar. That mindset is everything because it's so true. We can learn all the curriculum, but at the end of the day, if we're not loving ourselves, how can we ever love one another and therefore really lift humanity? And that's what you're doing.
1: Well, it's like Mrs. Martino would always tell me when I started teaching, she'd always say, you know, they're going to forget what you teach them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel.
0: Yes. Well, that's Maya Angelou as well. I mean, it's just beautifully said, right? Another quote that I had heard, and I don't remember who said it, maybe you do. It's like, no one cares how much you know, but they always know how much you care.
1: I know how much you carry. I'm sure he's was an educator at some point. <laughs> uh,
0: no doubt about it, or inspired by one. Yeah. One of my favorite teachers was sixth grade, Mr. Usselton. And it was around social pressure. And he was putting on The Wizard of Oz, and he wanted me to play Dorothy. But my best friend, Marie Rivera, wanted to play Dorothy. So I said, no, I'll play the lion. He's like, Michelle, you sing, you do this, you do that. You have to play Dorothy. And I was like, And I didn't want to lose my social status. I wanted her to like me. I didn't want her to beat me up behind the handball court. I mean, it was a whole thing. Really not that great of friends, but it was real. And he came to our home. He had conversations. And it was all around me understanding who I was beyond this play. And ultimately, I did play Dorothy. (laughs) And then my friends (laughs) played the lion. And our friendship prevailed. And it was such a great experiment on loving yourself and knowing that you're worthy of what is being asked of you or that you would desire and that you can step up into that role and you're not going to lose friends if it's right and if it's in alignment with your highest and best good.
1: Absolutely. And it's usually brought up another great point. Behind every celebrity stands a teacher who believed in them. And it's oh, like I love Seth MacFarlane, who's our teacher, taught him how to do paneling for cartooning <laughs> to who's elementary school teacher, you know, encouraged her to get into plays. To, I mean, Jay-Z was on recently talking about how his, his English teacher taught him, gave him a passion for words and made him write words and read the dictionary. And it's like, I always, I have yet to meet somebody who once they find out I'm a teacher, they're like, oh my God, I had this teacher and so-and-so mm. to me or, or direct me down this road. And it's just, it's really amazing to hear those stories. I'm trying to share those stories more now.
0: So glad you are. You know, I love one of the things that I heard you say in one of your videos, or maybe I read it somewhere, and you said that the way that you start each year is by showing really awkward photos of yourself, like gluing your ears to your head, or you talk about every girl that rejected (laughs) you. And I love that story because nowadays, I mean, you've become so elevated, right? You're like the hunkiest man, the sexiest man, you know, all of these accolades. And obviously, I mean, if students are Googling their teachers before class, which I would assume it's what what girls do before they have- Nothing's
1: more uncomfortable, Michelle, when a student comes in and says, I Googled you. I'm like- you're
0: the sexiest man alive. Great. (laughs) 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 But you disarm them, right? And you create an equal playing ground, but like, listen, it may not have always looked like this. At one point when I was going through adolescence, I looked just like you, but way worse. Well, it's like
1: every kid thinks they are the only one who's unsure, who's awkward, who doesn't feel like they fit in, who doesn't feel popular, feel like they matter. And it's like, it's one of those interesting things that looking back, it's like, we don't realize that everybody, I mean, I, I joke around, like even Ryan Gosling felt awkward at certain points, you know, Barack Obama didn't date a lot in high school, you know, but if he did, he wouldn't be Barack Obama. You know, it's like, you know, the most successful people out there probably had very awkward, insecure teenage years.
0: Probably still do at times. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right? That's and my student's are like, Mr. French, what did you stop feeling awkward and insecure? I'm like, I'll let you know.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. But that's where our humanity really allows us to connect to one another is when we're vulnerable and when we share like that. So when I heard you say that, I was like, oh man, this dude really is the real deal. Okay. We're going to wrap up. I have a couple more questions for you. I love to know about my guests' rituals and routines. Obviously, you were voted sexiest man of life on People Magazine um, or sexiest teacher alive in the sexiest man alive life series. <laughs> uh, but how do you keep not only your body, but just your mindset optimized so that you can get after your mission every day? Um,
1: Honestly, I meditate regularly. We do meditation Mondays in my classroom. I have my students meditating. Yeah. I mean, to me, meditation is such a key thing. I don't drink. Obviously, I don't do drugs. I train with students on a regular basis. So I would say hanging out with teenagers keeps me very young, keeps me up to date on all terminology. (laughs) Honestly, it's like I live a full, happy life. Like I'm very passionate about what I do. And I think that when you're happy and you kind of accept your life and you accept your role and you're passionate about it, I think that adds so much mental health. Though obviously teaching is draining emotionally, mentally on occasions. I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I yeah. feel you know, that, that kind of mindset. I feel like a lot of people who are stressed or dealing with health issues or unhappy. It's because they're doing things that don't make them happy.
0: Well, there it is. You just unpacked absolutely everything that we've talked about so many times on this show. And I too don't drink because it just makes me not happy. My light goes dim and and little things like that, no drugs. And it's just, you know, meditation and exercise and hanging around people that lift you. You know, your tribe is everything. I'm sure you talk about that in the classrooms. So you represent, honestly, the very best of the best game changers who've been on this show. Thank you for that.
1: Oh God, thank you so much.
0: (laughs) So I I mentioned before we hit record why I developed this, this podcast and it was really just to bring on epic mindsets like yourself, people who are really out there making a difference in the world. And I love to bring those conversations to this show so that people can get more of a sense of fulfillment to take back and to apply to their lives instantly. You've left us with so many nuggets that are actionable and I appreciate that. But not everyone has the same definition of fulfillment. What's yours?
1: I wish I could say it's it's finances, and it's it's ironic because my mentality fulfillment, which I believe is, I mean, is caring about others. It's like I take so much pride in helping others,
0: mm.
1: and I always go back to Mark Twain's quote where he said the best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer someone else up. Mm, beautiful. I feel so fulfilled. I could win a Nobel Prize, and it wouldn't really matter if I see a student win a Nobel Prize. Like that would mean so much more to them.
0: Oh, that's beautiful.
1: Again. There's no greater success than seeing someone succeed and knowing you played a part in it.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fire and Soul podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.